0: Hello world, what is up? Welcome back to the Feelings Lab. I'm your host, Matt Forte, and for today's episode, we're talking about love and the future of dating. Anytime love enters the conversation, it's a big deal for me. One of my all-time favorite episodes of this show was when Melina Kanakarides was on here and regaled us with not only the tales of her family's chocolate factory, but all the Greek words for and interpretations of love. Uh, today isn't just about love, though. It's about finding love. It's it's about that journey almost everyone goes on at some point in search of, um, I, I don't know, You you tell me, companionship, stimulating conversation, emotional support, sex, all of the above. Whatever it is, people need it. we've needed it since the beginning of time. Uh, Second only to the quest of finding oneself, our search for not necessarily the one, but someone, or our other half, if you will, whoever that may be, it's a tale as old as time. Uh, While the destination remains largely the same, the journey has transformed dramatically over the years. The rapid acceleration of technology has, for lack of a better term, disrupted social norms and traditions, exacerbated and unique in unexpected ways by a global pandemic. Uh, Gone is the stigma of the early aughts that online dating is for weirdos or people too lazy to just go outside. Uh, There are now literally thousands of apps and sites dedicated to helping you sift through the planet's 7.9 billion some odd inhabitants in hopes of finding one who, if you're lucky, will happily watch all of 90 Day Fiance with you, even the spinoffs. And on your birthday, they might even surprise you with a funny little meme on a tiny mug from Etsy. That's if you're lucky. Uh, now, I know what you're thinking. Perhaps a man in his mid-30s happily married for six years in a relationship spanning nearly two decades isn't the first person you choose to lead a conversation about what it's like to date in the 21st century. However, as you may recall, my primary role here is to be curious and honestly who could possibly have more questions about what it's like out there right now than someone as removed from the scene as myself also not for nothing just putting it out there i interviewed a bunch of astronauts at one point i've never been to the moon that went fine i think we're going to be okay uh regardless of my credentials or lack thereof i am joined once again by my vastly more intelligent and emotionally attuned co-host dr alan cowan alan i love you (laughs)
1: <laughs> love you too, Matt.
0: <laughs> uh, I usually just say what's up, but I wanted to see what you would do. That was very uh, sweet. I, I, I'm having a lot of fun on this show. I do love you, buddy. Thank you for that. Uh, no and much. together, we are joined by an absolutely awesome guest. I'm very excited she's here. Previously, the VP of Finance at Field Capital, she led data for business operations, capital markets, and servicing teams at Landing Home and Finance at Founders Fund, graduated summa cum laude and has a master's in predictive analytics from Northwestern University. She currently drives data and operations that makes the dating experience effortless for clients of the service Talkify, which brings personalized matchmaking to millions, not just millionaires. Please welcome the president of Talkify, the great Kelly Amberman, is here. Kelly, thank you so much for being here. Super excited to have you on the show. How are you doing?
2: I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor to be on the show with you guys
0: it's the honor is all ours honestly it's going to be a ton of fun uh, i have a million questions so i want to jo- uh, jump right on in uh, there are two obvious monumental shifts in the recent dating landscape that is the technical shift obviously uh, making it easier than ever to find someone anyone and then of course the impacts of the pandemic either one of those things is its own 10-part series uh, so i want to try to just focus mostly on recent events what's going on right now and then towards the end of the show uh, we'll take some time play around and kind of posit what lies ahead and and, and do a little blue sky and talk about the future as well. Uh, Reading an article on Mashable recently, I saw uh, some data and surveys coming in that coming out of isolation in the pandemic, it's led to people looking for more than just a casual fling. They're seeing an increased number in people that want a long-term partner. So Kelly, as president of a service that seeks to provide its clients with exactly that, uh, has there been a palpable uptick in interest? Have you guys seen numbers increase more dramatically than in years past? What's going on over at Talkify these days?
2: Yeah, so we're actually seeing the numbers increase where... Um, you know, a couple of years ago, numbers would have reported that about half of users in online dating uh, were looking for a meaningful relationship. And we're now seeing those numbers rise to as high as 70 percent and 80 percent. Whoa. Yeah. So it's dramatically increased um, and likely due to a result of people kind of reprioritizing what's important to them in life and thinking through that during the pandemic.
0: That's super interesting. I, um, I didn't know it was that big of an increase. That's wild. Uh, there was another article I saw, but it's from like 2018. It was about Talkify. Uh, and it was referencing some of the demographics. And it says, you know, Talkify sees clients as young as 21 and as old as 81, but the majority, you know, is around 35 to 55. And I'm curious... What those numbers, if you can reveal what they look more like in 2022, you know, coming out of the pandemic, has there been a a boom in any particular sector? Are the octogenarians coming out in full force looking for love? Like, you know, what's that look like these days? Has the age ranges changed or expanded in any way?
2: For us, that hasn't changed and expanded. Yeah. It's primarily been, as you, as you mentioned, um, pretty much anyone in their late 20s uh, to as old as in their early 80s. Um, but our primary demographic is uh, that 30 to 55 range.
0: Uh, be honest, is everyone really excited when it comes time to work one-on-one with the 80-year-olds? That feels like that would be a very fun experience <laughs> to talk to them and help them find whoever it is they're looking for, right? it has got to be exciting.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah,
0: for sure. Alan, I'd love to get your thoughts, man. We've talked before on this show about how, uh, with age tends to come a certain type of wisdom and like emotions hit different with, within like, you know, the context provided by a lived experience is love an outlier here, uh, from like your twenties on, does it play out as it always has, or is it susceptible to the same changes and growth? All of our emotions seem to go through.
1: I mean, it changes dramatically. I would guess that it's one of the most dramatically varying emotions over time where you start to look for love. I mean, people in their 20s are not really looking for long-term commitment as much. And they're probably more subject to passion, to desire. Uh, they're probably using Tinder more than <laughs> more than they end up with a real matchmaker where they're going to be set up with a deep relationship. Um, and I think that people crave long-term commitment later on. Um, that's a biological thing too. I mean, Time is running out, sort of, to have a family if that's what you're looking for, um, and uh, to have a fulfilling relationship, um, the kind that's going to last a long time. You see other people go through fulfilling relationships. You kind of want that. Maybe during the pandemic, you're alone more mm-hmm. and you want to adjust your loneliness, um, and you can't do that with a hookup. Uh, and so I can see uh, over time people wanting long term relationships.
0: Yeah. Uh, when you said time was running out, there was a slight pause before you said to start a family. And I thought you were very harshly talking about the 80-year-old. I was like, well, I mean, they can, you oh don't know God. how long. You could have plenty of time. We may have a
1: family. We might reverse at that point, actually. <laughs> exactly. I, think, I think when you're 70 or 80, maybe it just goes straight back to, to passion desire, and desire. That's life it. Is
0: short. At that point, <laughs> you, you've ruled it all out. You know exactly what you're looking for. Actually, do you know that by chance, Kelly? Are the 80-year-olds easier to work with because they know precisely what it is they want?
2: So I wouldn't necessarily uh, attribute it to an age, more so that it is an attitude. So the clients Mm. that are easiest to work with are the ones who are more open about who they're willing to get matched with.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, This other thing I was super curious about. Is not just uh, love changes with age or over time or anything like that, but also courtship in general. Like the dating process has changed entirely in the past two years, right? And uh, this one couple I was reading about, I think it was a BuzzFeed news article, said they didn't even get a chance to go like on dates; they just tumbled straight from crushes into being committed partners. And I know at Talkify, one of the aspects of the service is you guys help set up first dates and kind of get people set up for success and, and curate great experiences. How has that process changed for you guys? How have you had to adapt? And, and what are some trends you? seeing there in that space
2: yeah so I think what you're talking about is kind of that sliding versus deciding mentality where people kind of just slide into these relationships and commitments without uh, having ever discussed these quite serious topics and what we're seeing uh, with the changes in terms of you know what people want today um, they want significantly more from their partner you know they want value alignment they want fulfillment they want uh, chemistry and passion, polarity and familiarity. Um, so, you know, we want so many things from someone, and the list goes on and on. So, the role of what our matchmakers have had to play has dramatically expanded um, mm. to accommodate this tall order. So, for us, our matchmakers are not just facilitating introductions that they've identified as a good potential fit, but they're also coaching clients. Um, and so, based on our upbringing, Uh, what kind of household we grew up in, what kind of relationship our parents had, who we were surrounded with, who we surround ourselves with now, all have a huge impact on our associations with love, commitment, and relationships. Um, And people were not taught how to love or how to be a partner or how to be in partnership. So a lot of the matchmaker's role at Talkify has become about educating clients, helping them grow in certain areas of their life uh, to becoming a great partner and also attracting the partner that they're looking for.
0: I'm fascinated at the idea of the, the, the coaching aspect, because I think that's something people might not expect or overlook when they think of what a matchmaker does. They think a matchmaker just learns who I am and they find someone else and they put us together in a room and we figure it out. But the idea of them sort of walking you through, and how do you identify people that are going to be really uh, uh, attuned to doing that? How do you know when someone's going to make a great coach?
2: Yeah, so... We have a matchmaking methodology and a uh, onboarding program that all of our matchmakers go through. So we have a bunch of uh, training materials and um, courses that we've created through the 10 years that we've been in existence to ultimately prepare people to be uh, the best coaches.
0: Does, um, what are the traits that you're looking for? Like what are the emotions that those coaches exhibit? Are you looking for people that are super empathic or people that are super, uh, I, I'm not sure. I'm trying to think of like what, what the things that I would look for in an individual and go, okay, they're going to respond really well to the training. Or is it like people from certain lines of work? Like I want someone who used to be a lawyer. I want someone who used to work in the circus. I don't know. This is why I don't do this professionally. But like what are the things that you guys look for when you're like, that's the person that's going to help us?
2: Yeah, so we have matchmakers in about 39 different states, and they come from various backgrounds uh, from cognitive science to former lawyers to um, psychology, sociology. Um, They're all across the board. And so we really look for people who have a great EQ, they're -hmm. highly perceptive, they are customer service oriented, and they really have to be open minded. Um, You know, people have different. preferences when they come in and they have different expectations. So it really takes someone who's open-minded to be able to accommodate different sort of lifestyles and preferences and to be able to work with different types of people.
0: So I'm endlessly fascinated by this. It's oh, so yeah, cool. I'm
1: curious, um, is it usually people who've gotten out of like bad relationships or who haven't been able to find somebody or like, what, what, what kind of motivates somebody to look for a matchmaker or a coach?
2: Yeah. So we're at this point in time where we've really started outsourcing uh, all parts of our lives or finding experts for all parts of our lives, whether that's grocery shopping, laundry, uh, ride transportation. And so we're seeing with people who have used online dating feel dramatically dis- disenfranchised from the entire process where you know they're dealing with scammers, uh, fraudulent profiles, Uh, getting ghosted text conversations that end up going nowhere. And they're really wanting to have quality dates. Hmm. And so they come to us to help them um, not only kind of outsource that work, but find those people for them.
0: That's funny. It's amazing you bring that up. I was just uh, reading something today. The FBI uh, announced that Americans lost 1 billion to romance scams in 2021. 1 billion. Wild. Uh, But then that begs the question, okay, how do you then establish trust with these individuals? How do you make someone comfortable enough that they then allow themselves to be vulnerable?
2: Yeah. So that process happens as part of the welcome meeting with the matchmaker. And this is one of the reasons why we believe it's so important to not only use technology and leverage it, but also have the human component, is because it's not often that people feel comfortable divulging their most intimate details with with technology. And so in that meeting with people, we have to really establish trust um, by... uh, communicating with them in a way that is empathic um, and open-minded and really just allowing space to kind of take them on this journey and sharing their experience with them.
0: It's amazing. What are, and I, I know you might not even be, I don't know if you can reveal pull the curtain too far back but what are some of the ways because you have to straddle this line at talkify between having the human experience which is what makes it unique and makes it work so well but leveraging the technology you know what are some of the tools um, that aren't like trade secrets that you could share that help enable your coaches and your people to 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 do their job at a higher level what are some of the ways you guys blur those lines and bring those two worlds together so well
2: Yeah. So when most people think about the technology behind these apps, um, they often think about some sophisticated monolithic monolithic algorithm that will help people find the relationship of their dreams. And... um, you know, if there were some single monolithic al- algorithm, then there wouldn't be any competition because that company would have monopolized the entire dating industry. Um, and in reality, most dating app technology is really just these these massive search engines that use collaborative filtering in the same way um, that Facebook, Twitter. Google, Netflix, um, and Amazon use collaborative filtering to make recommendations. So all that that technology is really doing um, is sifting through a giant Rolodex of people that you may have never had access to in your physical life, and then narrowing down that Rolodex into a smaller group and showing you a profile so it's a great tool to expand your connections and get access to new people but in terms of actual predictive power, um, it's using such superficial limited data that based off of decades of research of relationships we know has little to no predictive power so we know it's important to understand um, you know what the con- the technology can and cannot offer. Um, And this is why we leverage the technology to pull from this giant Rolodex of people to potentially match you with. But that's where we really utilize the human expertise um, to help you not only connect with people, but have meaningful connections. And decoding the human heart will never be left to ones and zeros. Um, You know, technology can tell you many things, but to create a meaningful relationship, it requires us to really dig in and identify our core values to understanding our attachment style, to recognizing the limited beliefs that we hold in the stories that we tell ourselves that often get in the way of us having these successful relationships. And that's where our matchmakers come in.
0: Wow. Wow. Um, there's uh, about a million things in there that I want to unpack and get to. I want to dig a little bit deeper into the the matching and coaching process and, 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 the ones and zeros we'll never all of that we're going to get to that but before we drift too far from it i do want to stay just for a second on the idea of the early stages the courtship process and the reason i'm, I'm harping on this is there was this funny bit uh of the same couple i was talking about before um so it was they one of them had been exposed to covid right and um that's not the funny part. They were fine, but they were waiting for a PCR test result and, and she was isolating and they would meet her and her boyfriend masked at a distance on her stoop. So he could drop off food for her. It was very sweet. And she said, it felt like the modern equivalent of looking out my uh, castle turret to see a knight on horseback, which really amused me. And I thought, for all these things that are different, what are some of the things that are still the same? What are some of the parts that, that haven't changed? As people are, are finding new ways to, to meet and connect, what are some things that have remained true through, through the decades, through the centuries? And so I'd love, Kelly, to hear your experience coming from Talkify. And of course, Alan, your perspective as an emotion scientist, You know, whoever wants to go first uh, can jump right on in. But what are well, some I- of the things that are the same? Go for it. <laughs>
1: What I found fascinating about what Kelly was saying is that uh, when you look at these algorithms that basically are matching people for the most part today, most people are using dating apps now, they're optimizing for people swiping right, right? And what goes into that swipe is just the shallowest version of a selection process, right? Literally just what you're looking, you're looking at appearance, you're looking at like the five words on somebody's profile. um, And the algorithm is taking the easy approach. It's taking like the attractiveness approach. Um, I'm sure that uh, that does work at helping people find mutual sw- right swipes, right? <laughs> but it, it probably doesn't work at finding deeper connections. Um, and it might even run kind of contrary to people finding deeper connections because what it's made salient are those shallow criteria. Um, and so it's, it's another case where... And the same goes for kind of most algorithms today. It's optimizing for an objective that gets us a little closer to what we want. Um, and in theory, the, the, the sky is the limit, but it just isn't the right objective. And we have thousands, you know, with, with dating apps, we have millions of potential options, right? Imagine a world where you could actually be introduced to the best option. That would undeniably be an amazing world, right? <laughs> so I'm curious, like, how does a human matchmaker get the best option and can we actually replicate that in an algorithm or is it just impossible? your opinion
2: yeah i mean i think that what you're saying about the quality of the data as we might expect impacts the quality of the connection and on the dating apps you know we do describe people in terms of height age uh, education religion but in what way does that information tell you what it would be like to spend a weekend get away with that person not many yeah The reason why we describe people in this way in online dating is because it's easy to do. It results in high conversion rates for profile creation, and it's easy to search on, meaning that it can return that high number of connections, but not necessarily good connections. And where we leverage technology in conjunction with human experts um, who understand the perception around human behavior, we focus on the data from these deeper conversations. Hmm. It's like peeling an onion and getting through the layers to get clarity on what core value someone has, how they might prioritize those values, what they value in partnership, how they experienced a date, what worked for them, what didn't work for them. And this type of information ultimately makes the best connections.
0: When, uh, when you're saying that, that, that kind of data, that's conversations they have with their matchmaker, right? Because you guys aren't going on the date with them. You don't know what happens. You got to rely on their reporting back to you, I assume.
2: Yeah. So both okay. the client reports back to the matchmaker and the person that they were set up on a match with.
0: That's. Uh, it's. I'm very curious how often those two are uh, completely different stories, right? <laughs> like just two different perspectives. But okay, so hang on. So now I know how you're capturing the data that comes out of the first date. Um, are you finding out, uh, things that, you know, what, what are signs, what are telltale signs of a great first date? When you get those reports back, how do you guys know that that first one was six? Is it as simple as they just say they enjoyed themselves? Or are there deeper things that you guys are looking for in those reports that help you identify like, oh, that was a good date?
2: Right. So as I mentioned, we go over their values and their top priorities mm-hmm. and what they're looking for in partnership. And we essentially rank order those with them. And we want to make sure that we're on track with their top priorities. So ultimately, that's kind of what's guiding us as a North Star to determine whether or not we were on track with their preferences and whether or not it was a good match.
0: How do you guys? Okay, so they go on the date. They have a good match. You've assessed all of this. They're ready for date number two. And I recall reading somewhere that you guys can help coach with that as well, like how to ask for that date and getting that all up. At what point does the coach step back and like let nature take over like when does the matchmaker know that their job is done? Does the client tell you or do they have a sense
2: so with our core matchmaking product, we set up that initial first date mm-hmm. and then it's up to them to take the relationship forward with our clients who do the coaching aspect. Uh, we actually just had a great example where We coached this man through his entire experience with this woman who they both lived in different states. And they were actually one of those COVID-19 pandemic relationships where they met virtually and they didn't see each other for four months uh, until they met up in person. And they had already gone through the stages of... uh, getting serious, saying, I love you. And we walked them through that process or the matchmaker did in that case and helped them get to the conversations around um, a move and a family integration. And she was in Texas. And so now she and her family moved to Michigan uh, to be uh, together. And so that's kind of an example where we'll take them through the entire end to end process. Uh, but some people only want it for the first date, some people want it for uh things like serious conversations. Um so it really depends on what the client is looking for. Do
0: you guys have to polite decline a ton of invitations to weddings all the time and just go oh, that's very <laughs> that's very sweet, but we, we're very busy. Like does that happen? Is that a problem? A good problem to have I imagine
2: it is a, a very <laughs> exciting uh invitation to get, yes. <laughs>
0: Okay, so here's why I'm, I'm, I'm building to something here. The big question that I have then is, do you learn something from each successful or hell, each unsuccessful match too, for that matter? Do you learn something that makes all future matches better? Like, in other words, is the data you guys are collecting from each match able to teach you in some way how to make even more successful matches?
2: Absolutely. Yeah. It's definitely an iterative process. And what we see is that 99% of the time when people come through the door, they have this set of criteria that they say is important to them. And oftentimes that's based off of some preconceived notions about how the dating apps have primed them to think about ordering someone off of a menu. And for instance, the height, the, the age, the education those things won't tell you if someone is going to be a good partner. Mm -hmm. And so it usually becomes this iterative process with the matchmaker where after the first date, they might tell them, you know, actually, this quality isn't as important as I thought it might be to me. And so it kind of becomes this rearranging of what it is that is ultimately going to find them that meaningful, fulfilling relationship.
0: Interesting. First of all, uh, uh, thank you so much for this. is all really fascinating. And second of all, I got like a billion more questions. Alan, did you have something real quick before I keep going? Yeah, no. I'm,
1: I'm, it's interesting what you were saying, Kelly, about people kind of prioritize the wrong dimensions, uh, the wrong criteria, um, and it definitely confirms what's been known in, in the psychology literature that if you follow couples for many years, and not that many people have done this, but famously was done by Gottman and Levinson in the seventies and eighties. Who literally followed married couples for, for years at a time, um, you find that 80% of the conflicts between the couples that occur in year five were present in the first year. Uh, and so, you know, what that really indicates is that there's some level of incompatibility between these people. And they they've maybe chosen based on the wrong criteria. But then I'm curious, like, what are the right criteria? What do you look for in a successful couple that you think is going to stay together and not have conflicts uh, for a long period of time?
2: Yeah, I love the research that the Gottmans have done and everything that's come out of the Love Lab. I think that they've actually said that 67% of problems are not solvable. Um, So you ultimately have to decide with what you're willing to live with. Um, And so it is quite interesting um, to, to think through what qualities make a great partner. And I think it really is dependent on what people are looking for in terms of their relationship. Um, But we do know that, of course, there are certain qualities that make a relationship easier than others. So for instance, your ability to be able to emotionally regulate um, your communication skills, uh, whether you participate in a relationship with mutuality, um, where both people's needs are equally important in the relationship and things like that.
1: Fascinating. Yeah. I mean, when you when you talk about the tangible things, sort of the motion regulation, like these things seem testable. To what extent do you think it's just intangible? Like what to what extent is there just some element of human intuition that's hard to really put on paper?
2: Yeah. So I think that there is a way to in some ways to to operationalize that. And that's what our matchmakers gather. And that's kind of the data that we use behind our matchmaking process, where we take the tangibles and we integrate that with the intangibles to ultimately find those better connections.
0: Let's let's have a fun little experiment here for a second. Uh, these intangibles, the, the, the X factor, the thing, the, the, the something, the certain something that we still can't sort of quantify or identify, but we know is there. Uh, and Alan, I asked you this uh, the other day, it, do we think it's inevitable at some point that technology will catch up and be able to account for, detect, or predict that thing? Is that, is that an inevitability at some point that, that will no longer be ineffable? It'll be, oh, that thing that the AI can find. What, what do we think about that?
1: It has to be there if matchmakers, if human matchmakers can pick up on it, it's there, right? Right. Uh, so a smart enough robot could do it. And, and you know, if you had, imagine if you had an AI that could do what a human matchmaker does, um, because it could do it a thousand, a million times faster, right? And then suddenly, whereas a human matchmaker has a certain size network of matches to consider, a match, an AI matchmaker could consider millions of possible matches, you know, in seconds, and and it could find literally the best one potentially if it could if it could quantify the intangibles but that's that's really the tricky thing so we kind of need a little bit of
0: well here's my is that a good thing is that a good thing because (laughs) if is there not something we learn from from misunderstandings or or a bad date or or even heartbreak like of course we don't want to do it uh but you know and i'm sure Almost all of the clients that, that come to Talkify would say, No, I didn't need to go on all of those bad dates. I just want the good one at this point. But there is something about that human experience. If every match is a hundred percent match a hundred percent of the time, do we lose a part of what it means to be human, or are we just evolving and I'm being an old fogey and won't grow? Like wh- what do you think? And that's a pretty big question. I was saving that for a let's look at the future talk, but we're here now. So let's roll. Let's
1: do it. Well, let's let's carry that out. I mean, if we're if we're imagining a thought experiment where like it's better for people's well-being to have some level of conflict, the AI could figure that out too, right? <laughs> like, like the AI could find the better, the, the matches that improve the human condition with given enough data, right? There has to be, whether it's more conflict or less, maybe probably what I would guess is that that 69% of conflicts that cannot be resolved is just bad. You probably want to avoid that. But the 31% of conflicts that can be resolved, maybe is better than having no conflict at all. It's... Once you get past that, there's some deepening of the connection. You've learned something. Maybe you've grown as a human.
0: You give me something to think about there. I got to ruminate on that for a second, Kelly. What do you think? A hundred percent match, a hundred percent of the time. Is that a good? What What, what do you think? Yeah, take, so, take out of the equation that it would destroy the business model for a second. But like, just like, just in general, as a human being, what What are your thoughts on that? What do you think?
2: Yeah. Well, I would like to at some point circle back to the viability of. AI being able to do that, given that, you know, the inputs matter, you know, so we, how, how would an AI meet people where they're at? How would it kind of educate them in these areas, uh, that they might need to grow and to ultimately weed out that information that is useful for making these better matches. Um, so that's one part of it, but then also to your question about, uh, what would that look like? I think this kind of falls into the territory of the grass is greener syndrome, um, where if we have this bias idea that on the, outs, the outside options look so promising that these matches you know, could continue to get better and better, then you might wake up next to your partner or maybe you get in a little fight and you might think to yourself, hey, you know, in one click, I could just have somebody else. And all those options look so wonderful because, you know, in online dating, people only present themselves in in positive sides. So is that also happening with these, uh, this potential algorithm that would find this best match or would it really be the best match?
0: Man, I love so, me a good slippery slope. <laughs> Go on, Alan. Let's hear hear your, hear your response. <laughs> what do you think? I,
1: I 100% agree with the slippery slope idea. I, well, to, to clarify, I don't think... Algorithms are going to be smart, as smart as humans on every dimension of understanding humans for a very, very long time. But I do think there's dimensions along which AI could help human matchmakers perform this task because it really is a sorting task, Um, at least in the first iteration. You have lots and lots of possible matches. The AI could, at the very least, sort what the human matchmaker actually ends up looking at. Um, and then the human matchmaker can take it from there. That's sort of how like, social media moderation works. Right? The AI picks up on what might be hate speech. Um, and it's right, you know, it, 30% of the time for the number of samples that get reviewed, probably. Um, and then a human steps in and, and, and makes the final decision. Now, I feel like something similar could work in the matchmaking domain if you feed the AI the right data. If it's not just attractiveness, if it's not just you know, height, but if it's a video of somebody and what they find funny and what they and how they interact and uh, what are the kind of intangibles, what what are the kind of nonverbal chemistry uh, components that people have with other people, um, and 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 find find that as like a sorting mechanism uh, to feed to a human matchmaker or something like that.
2: Yeah, where I could see it being helpful is maybe supporting people's relationship development growth through simulated situations or exercises that might provide a lower stakes environment than the real life situation. Um, For instance, if someone has a fearful avoidant attachment style, meaning that they aren't just averse, but fearful of emotional closeness and intimacy, it might be helpful to use empathic AI for exposure therapy to be able to get comfortable with intimacy so that they can have Mm. a healthier relationship with their partner or if someone wants to work on their communication skills, they can go through these simulated conversations that they might have in real life.
0: Well, that brings up something we talked about uh, earlier in another episode. Uh, where there's certain things people feel more comfortable doing with AI than with people. And, and one of those reasons that was discussed there was because of the lack of judgment uh, from AI versus with a human being. And uh, it's a really interesting use case I never thought of, of like uh, uh, training to handle situations like that without the, the sort of like with a safety net in place. Right.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. Very cool. And it kind of reminds me of, uh, oh, oh, by the way, Kelly, I apologize. I didn't give you the opportunity earlier to address if you thought it was even possible for the AI to do that. Uh, But yeah, You did get to get that in there, but my bad. Um, I got so excited about the conversation. I steamrolled that chance. But (laughs) um, uh, this whole thing about AI, it brings to mind, have you seen the show on Netflix, Too Hot to Handle? Uh, It's fantastic garbage television and you're both very intelligent so i assume you have better things to do than watch this show but essentially a general premise all right it's a reality show a bunch of overconfident attractive 20 somethings they hook up left right and center but there's this game construct and it's led by a glowing cone that's obviously inspired, which I know sounds crazy, but just bear with me here. And it's inspired by like an Alexa-like device, and they call it Lana. And Lana will reward good behavior and punish bad behavior monetarily They'll They'll give the money, take money away. And by the end of the time in the show, the fascinating thing is some of these people, they actually learn and grow. And I bring all this up because... What I found interesting is this is an instance where, as opposed to making AI more human, they're swinging the pendulum in the other direction, and they're putting an AI veneer over a human's advice and guidance. Uh, and, and these kids are seemingly way more open to it. Why do we think that is? Uh, which kind of ties into what we were just talking about now. And and what does that say about younger generations' expectations from from future dating and counseling services?
1: Well, I mean, th- th- it's amazing that people are in our at least in the younger generation are sort of looking to alexa at, or the equivalent lana as yeah. a more objective source of truth right and and there is something to that i mean when people look at um a human judge they they see human qualities of you know empathy and compassion, but they also see um empathy uh to biasing decisions um you you see people empathizing with people in their in group uh, a lot of it you know is is potentially exacerbating racial biases or gender biases that people have. Um, and at least there's a way to train AI that enables you to get rid of those biases. Hmm. Unfortunately, AI today is not trained that way. So this is still <laughs> aspirational. <laughs> but I can, I can see where people would want that, would seek yeah. that out. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, Kelly, would you, would you ever, uh, make a fake AI matchmaker <laughs> that is actually a human and deploys all of the wisdom of a human? But people think it's an AI and so they listen to it more. <laughs>
2: I'm going to say that's not on our product roadmap, right? <laughs> <I> <laughs> and, uh, I think so.
1: that sounds cool. exactly like uh, something
0: someone would say if it was on their roadmap and they didn't want us to no I'm kidding. I'm true. kidding. That is, <laughs> really true.
2: Uh we we do strive for transparency though with our customers. So we 100%. make sure that And that's
0: a very good point. Transparent. that goes back to building trust, right? That transparency is a huge part of that. Have you got, have your coaches, it sounds, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So I doubt the, uh, I think I already know the answer to this, but have your coaches ever come back and said like, it's interesting. They're not receptive to X, Y, and Z when we tell them. I wonder like, if there's a way we could communicate this that, that that they'd be more willing to listen. Is that a problem you guys ever had to try to address or is you keep it human-based? It's like, well, then maybe it's how we're talking. Maybe we change the conversation, stuff like that.
2: That never happens.
0: No, well, of uh, course not. That's why the numbers are so high. You guys are good at what you do. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah, of course, there are situations where, like I mentioned, people have preconceived ideas about what exactly they're looking for. And so sometimes when people come in with this uh, laundry list of, of items that they they have an idea that will ultimately get them that meaningful relationship and they're not open to seeing it in another manner. It can be challenging to have those conversations. But ultimately, we find some middle ground And that's what we work towards because we're on the same team and we're both incentivized to make sure that they find that meaningful relationship. So we, we try to find a way to work together.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, We're, we're coming in the home stretch here. It's flying by. Uh, But before we get, I we already talked a little bit about looking forward. We looked super far ahead to crazy advanced AI that can uh, pick up things that are not yet perceivable, but let's let's look a little more short term. Uh you know, what are things that are you're really excited about in the field in the next five to six months that you see coming down the pike? Things that are especially coming out of the pandemic as things are changing. You know, what's something that's really exciting you that's on the 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 visible horizon, not 30, 40, 100 years down the road.
2: Yeah. So to talk about this, I also like to talk a little bit about the wellness space. Let's do it. And right now, the wellness industry is comprised of six different categories, uh, health, fitness, nutrition, appearance, sleep, and mindfulness. And what we don't see in there is better relationships. Mm -hmm. And Harvard conducted a study on adult development, and it's one of the world's longest studies of adult life, having lasted almost 80 years, where... Researchers collected a ton of data on sophomore men's physical and mental health by following these men over their life. And what they found was that while it's great to take care of your body, our relationships and how happy we are in our relationships has a powerful influence on our health and success, even more than money or fame, uh, more than social class, IQ, or even genes. And the people who were the most satisfied in their relationships at age 50 were the healthiest at age 80. Um, So we're really excited about, um, in addition to the human expertise, using technology to further supplement this relationship development education. And hopefully through technology, we can create these tools and infrastructure and support systems for people to establish the foundation for a healthy and happy relationship so that we can lead better, healthier and happier lives. Um, we're intrinsically designed to love and we're wired for it. So I think technology can light a path, but ultimately we must be willing to walk in it.
0: Wow. That is crazy exciting. Uh, and I did not anticipate that expansion of services and, and priorities in that way. That's really, really interesting. Um, Alan, one, any thoughts on that? And two, just, uh, just to go back to the same question of something that excites you coming down the road that you know about, but also any thoughts on, on what Kelly just shared?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I resonate completely with what Kelly was just saying. I think love is the most fulfilling emotion that people experience in life and such a determinant of people's wellness. And when the relationships are going well, uh, people are better so much more well than than when their relationships are going poorly. Uh, Technology that can potentially step in when there's conflict would be really critical. It um, has to do it in, in a way that respects people's privacy, obviously it has to do it in a way that's very transparent to people, that people can control. Um, but even saying, look, you've, done, you've engaged in this pattern of texting before, didn't go well, I suggest you do this instead, mm-hmm. or um, potentially taking that to the domain of video chat or audio. Um, there are so, there's so much that technology can do in just helping us guide uh, our relationships um, through simulations too, you can imagine um, as Kelly was saying earlier, like a deep fake version of, of a loved one where you can interact with them um, and sort of I know I know that deep fake is scary, right? But but if we <laughs> but if we know <laughs> but <I> like that. <laughs> but if, if we know if we know it's a, it's a digital person, if it's an honest depiction, and it helps us sort of practice different solutions to a conflict,
0: that's fair, and it
1: comes up with real, you know, realistic responses that could happen. Um, and really helps us work out our relationship issues. I think that's really exciting. And I still think that um, if we could design the ideal dating app um, and incorporate incorporate it in a way, you know, inc- incorporate human matchmakers um, and really allow people to really allow to be optimized for deep commitment and not shallow, right. shallow ideal ideals, not like desire, um, not attract, you know, uh matching together people who are just attracted to each other. Um, if we could do that, I think the, the, we could create more love in the world. I think the world could have more love in it. And I think that would make the world a better place. Um, and I, I don't see it being impossible that AI could have an impact on that in the very near future. Um, I mean, AI has more information than you get out of a profile picture on a dating app and out of height. Um, it knows a little bit more about you than that. If you fit, if, if you were to give it the information and say, you know, find me a match, um, and don't use this information improperly, uh, and you could trust the system to do that, um, I think people would find more matches. Um, and, and the question is, what is the right information? I think a lot of the right information is is not something that you can spell out in an essay. It probably has a lot to do with nonverbal behavior, with the intangibles. And so I really think that AI that can read people's nonverbal verbal behavior is really essential to that, too.
0: Mm, yeah. Kelly, as you talk about the uh, expansion of the scope of the kind of services and, and, and what it is Talkify uh, is looking to do and achieve for its clients, uh, obviously, you need the human element. It is such an important part of it. So you have to expand that team are you thinking of other ways, not necessarily the exact ones that Alan's saying, but just ways to leverage uh, technology as the team expands so you can realize this goal because the scope uh, gets so much larger than just matchmaking and and, and pro- promoting well-being and, and emotional health and all that. Uh, you're either going to need a, a huge team uh, or a large team and some really cool tech. And I'm just curious, uh, I think I know where your heart lies there, but like what – what what are you looking at, and how do you think you're going to get it done?
2: Yeah, we're thinking that we'll always have the human component.
0: Yeah, because for sure. that's so
2: yeah. important to what we're doing. But as you mentioned, the technology can leverage the capacity. For instance, um, the number of clients that a matchmaker could potentially right. take on, to the efficiencies in our operational processes. So. I think that there are definitely ways to kind of combine the two where it doesn't have to be an all, uh, an either or. It can be a both and.
0: Yeah. Nine times out of 10, that's the best solution. Even in a relationship, it's not right and wrong. We got to compromise. It's both. (laughs) Right. Um, Exactly. I'm so bummed we're out of time, Uh, but it flew by for me, and I hope it did for you too. Before we get out of here, uh, everybody, I'd be crazy not to extend a massive, massive thank you to Kelly for taking time out of her busy schedule to hang out with us today. Kelly, uh, thank you so much. Like I said, the honor is all ours. It's been amazing to have you here and pull the curtain back a little bit and share your perspective. Uh, I can't say it enough. Thanks so much for being here tonight.
2: Thanks so much for having me. It was a pleasure
0: course anytime uh of course there is no show without my co-host alan alan i said at the top i'll say it again i love you bud thank you man as always for joining me lastly don't worry i didn't forget i love you too listener uh, thank you for coming along for the ride today wherever you are however you found your way to us we thank you and i hope you come back around again next week we'll be back with a new guest a new topic and a whole bunch of new questions hey man speaking of questions if you got one don't be shy shout it out and then once that's out of your system, email it to us. We can actually answer it. Uh, it's the easiest thing in the world. We're at the thefeelingslab at hume.ai. I'm not going to spell it out this week. It's on the little image. You can figure it out. Do a little work. You'll get it there if you want to ask it bad enough. Uh, send it on over. If it's a really good one, I will print it out and personally hand deliver it to Alan's home address. Uh, that's going to do it for now. Farewell, my friends. From the Feelings Lab, I'm Matt Forte. Thanks again, everybody. And please stay safe out there.